that I am is yours. All that I am is yours. That's actually what we're going to talk about today. Go to Colossians chapter 3. We're excited you're here. We're excited to have you. I don't even know why I bother wearing a sweater after playing drums and preaching. It's pretty much worthless to me, but it's chilly. The the weather is cooling off finally. It feels like November. July sticks around around here, man. July is like four months long. I don't know about you, but I'm glad it's cooling down. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, that got some people stirred up. Amen. I'll just preach about the weather today. Usually that's just the conversation you have just to make sure people are following. You're already there. All right, good. All right, let's get into the Word then. If you're that excited about the weather, the Word's really going to mess you up today. Colossians chapter 3. Look at, let's start with verse 17. Verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do. Everyone say do. Do all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, giving thanks to God the Father, giving thanks to God the Father, uh, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now He's talking about whatever you do. He's talking about action here. Um, he, he, he's talking about how you live your life. So now He's getting ready to get, you know, real practical on us. You know, the word the word can be practical sometimes. I think sometimes we over-spiritualize things and we make it out, you know, be bigger than it really is. But, you know, Paul really is wanting to get practical. I mean, when he came to the Corinthians, you know, he wasn't talking about you're not speaking in tongues enough, you're not praying enough, you're not reading your Bible enough. He said you're gossiping. You're, you're gossiping with each other. You're talking about each other behind each other's back. I mean, you're, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff that you know better than to be doing. And so he gets real practical here in verse 18. He says, wives... Submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting. I'm not going to preach on marriages today. I'm not going to meddle today. We're, we're too close to Christmas for that stuff. That's, that's January stuff. I'm not going to talk about how you're supposed to be treating each other. You come back in January, we'll get all that stuff straightened out. Uh, but he starts off here, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Verse 19, Husbands, love your wives. And do not be bitter toward them. And he's talked about children. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Verse 22, he talks about the employer and the employee. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to your flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart or with passion is what he's saying. Fearing God. And then look what he says here in verse 23. Whatever you do, everyone say do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. You serve the Lord Christ. So he goes to wives and husbands. He goes to children and their fathers and their mothers. He goes to the employee and the employer relation. What's he doing? He's just hitting lives. He's hitting you, you know, at home where you're at. Somewhere in there you, you fall into a category. You're a child, you're a mother, you're a father, you work somewhere, you are running a business, whatever it is. 
But he's not just talking. Notice God isn't just interested in getting the job done. He's not just interested in what you're doing, but he's interested in how you do it. It's not just what you do, but it's how you do it. It's how you get the assignment accomplished. It's it's how you get the job accomplished. We're talking about a heart matter here. We're not talking about actions. We're not talking, uh, you can put it this way, we're not talking about your hands. We're talking about your heart. And, and, I, and I think there's a little bit that has crept into the church uh, where I, I really think that we uh, uh, disguise the heart a little more uh, than, you know, we'd like to be real about. I, I think when it comes down to it, uh, you, know, you know, we throw out statements, you know, it's one of the little churchy statements, but God knows my heart, right? You're right, God does know your heart. He knows your heart better than I do. So that, that, that should all the more put something in you that says, I need to get this thing right, not just on the outside, but on the inside. Amen. I, I need to, to serve because, uh, you know, a, a, a lot about church and a lot about what we do uh, can be showy and, and is based on we know that it's not just about having something on the inside, a conviction on the inside, but now it's supposed to produce something on the outside. God changes you. From the inside out, not the outside in. We all know that we've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's instantaneous. That, we're not waiting for that to happen. Uh, Jesus, renew me. Jesus, you know, make me new. No, he's already done. That's past tense. The second that you uh, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life, you are giving him ownership of your life, and you've been made new on the inside. That's newness. But we all know that the, you didn't just come down here to an altar and then walk back, and you're just this completely different person on the outside. It's easy the next morning to still have some of those same tendencies and, and issues that you dealt with before. This is the, the, the struggle that, uh, you know, I, I did a series a while back, I don't know, last year probably sometime, called The Eternal Struggle. For the rest of your life, you will have that struggle between flesh and spirit. You'll never get away from that. At any point, no matter how deep and how far you walk with God, you'll always have the opportunity to say, no thanks, not anymore, I'm going to do my thing, right? That can happen at any time. That flesh is always there. It's the eternal struggle. It takes place right there. So there's a newness that takes place on the inside. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am uh, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is who I am now. I'm talking about position, but now action. How do we get that? To measure up, how do we get that to line up? And so I'm gonna got a message for you this morning called Two Kings. Two Kings. We're gonna look at two kings. Actually, first, the very first two kings that Israel ever had. Many of you, you already know your Bible stories, your Bible history. You already know where I'm going. We're gonna talk about King Saul. We're gonna talk about King David. I believe that these two men are an absolute contrast of each other. I, I think there's things that we can see uh, that identifies. Uh, what God is looking for and what man is looking for. Because I don't know about you, but there, there's times in my life and, and, and even in ministry where I want to measure up. There's a standard that I want to reach. And, and on the outside, I want to be successful. On the outside, uh, you know, the, the world has a measure of success. The world has a way to measure if you're fruitful or if you're not productive or if you're not. I mean, your business gets measured by this. Your family gets measured by this. Your, uh, you know, you go into Target, and they're determining what kind of parent you are by how your kids are acting in that five-minute window that they see you in. They don't know anything at home. They don't know what you're teaching. They don't know uh, what you just got done putting in them in the car. 
uh, on the way there and what you're going to dump in them on the car, in the car on the way back. All they see is that five minutes. Girl, you better get your kids in line. And you're thinking, this, you don't even know my life, right? But everybody's trying to measure something. Everybody's trying to figure out what's that standard. And for too long, I, I think the church has accepted the world's standard. The church has allowed the world's measuring stick, if you will, or the world's way of identifying uh, effective or ineffective. It's crept into the church now. But God measures a completely different way. God is looking in a completely different format. He says everything that you do, you still need to complete the assignment. But I'm not just interested in you finishing the job. I'm interested in how you do it. How you do it. And so let's take a look, first of all, here at King Saul. Now a little backstory: uh, Israel has never had a king. And there's nations all around them. We're going to go to 1 Samuel. Um, you want to go ahead and turn there. 1 Samuel, we're going to start in chapter 9. But Israel has never had a king. Israel is God's nation, God's people. They had a heavenly king. He's sovereign. He's in charge. And that's the way God wanted it to be. But Israel came to the prophet Samuel, who's the man of God that God ordained to speak from heaven to earth. And he's ordained this man Samuel, a prophet, to speak the word of God, to speak the word of God to uh, uh, Israel. But they, they're, they're tired of that. They don't like that anymore. So they've decided, you know what? We need a king like everybody else. Boy, it's a bad place that the church gets when we just want to look like everybody else. Isn't it? Isn't it a bad place when, we, when the church says, oh, they're doing that. We got to do it. Oh, they're, they're singing that song. We got to sing that song. Oh, they're playing that instrument. We got to play that. Oh, they're, they're, look at how they're doing that. Look at how they're building that. Look at how they do this. Now, I'm not saying the world, you know, has just a bunch of stuff that we need to stay away from. The church has gone overboard on that side, too. If the world's doing it, we stay away. I mean, we only do stuff that's in the church. We only do stuff that God says to do, right? But there's, there's this flip side where the church is relying on the world to show them a picture of what we're supposed to be doing. And so Israel's in trouble here. Israel's gotten to a place here uh, where they have decided that, uh, you know, we, we need what everybody else has. All these other nations have these earthly kings that uh, get to uh, dictate and rule and, 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 and tell them how to do things. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, after they've pressed upon Samuel, hey, we want a king. 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin, that was the tribe he belonged to, whose Name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of uh, Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. Boy, the world loves stuff that looks good, right? They love the good-looking stuff. They love the stuff that stands out from the crowd. They love the stuff that, you know, we, we've got the best-looking stuff. They're all about appearance. They're all about showiness. They're all about the outward image. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. I mean, that's, that's a pretty tall order, man. Not a more handsome person in all of the children of Israel. I mean, God, you, 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 this guy was born to be a king. I mean, this guy's got it all. I mean, look at him. Look at him. And on top of that, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. This guy stood out. 
This guy stood out. I mean, you could identify this. You can identify this guy in the middle of a crowd. You look out in a crowd and you see there, there's Saul, man. There's the most handsome man in all of the children of Israel. Look at, I mean, from the shoulders up, he's taller than everybody else. I mean, you can't compete with this guy. And so this is what the world's looking at. This is what the world's looking for. And it's amazing what we allow to become the standard when we only look at the outside. But how many of you know the outside doesn't tell the whole story? How many of you know it's not just, you know, what you look like getting it done, but God's more interested in something else. And the outside doesn't always tell the whole story. So we have this man uh, that uh, the people... Have chosen. I think if we go over uh, to, no, we're not going to get there yet. Go ahead and go over to First Samuel chapter thirteen. We're just going to kind of skip around here. I'm not going to read, uh, you know, six chapters to you. Uh, you know, I know that we got three hours together, uh, but you know, I'm not just going to spend. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't get worried. The buffet's keeping your food hot. They got the, they got those heat lamps. It's got the glaze coming over it right now as we speak. So we'll we'll get you out in time. You'll beat the rush. Amen. But in 1 Samuel 13, uh, if you look at verse 1, I don't have it in there, but just verse 1 says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years. Two years in. Two years in. I don't care how good it looks. Sometimes the best-looking stuff is the stuff that breaks the fastest. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have an iPhone that has a shattered screen on it right now. If you do, just go ahead and throw it in the air. Let me, let me see that shattered screen. I know, I know you're here. I know you're here. You got spider glass all over the place, man. Golly. All the work they went into that thing, and you, it took you two weeks. What would you do? My son did it. I had it in an otter box. I mean, come on. What's the matter? Yeah, it's crazy. It's the best-looking stuff that breaks the quickest sometimes. And so two years in, we've got King Saul, and he's already blowing it. He's already missing it. Why? I'll tell you right now. How you get into a thing determines a lot how you'll operate once you're in it. How you go into something determines a lot. And if you go into it with the wrong heart, if you don't do something real quick to change that, it won't be long before that stuff will start shutting down. You can be even in the highest place. I mean, he's a king. He's a king. The people have chosen, I mean... You know, it's one thing to be king and nobody likes you, but it's another thing to be king and everybody likes you. I mean, the people chose this guy. But he went into it with the wrong heart. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 13, he makes an unlawful sacrifice. And I find it interesting where Saul messes up. I mean, Saul is messing up here in 1 Samuel 13, and then we'll also look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. In both of these instances, he messes up by making a sacrifice that he's not supposed to make. In essence, he's trying to praise and worship God. But even the right action with the wrong heart will destroy you. Even the right actions with the wrong heart will mess you up. They'll shut you down. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, after he takes this first wrong turn, in verse 13... Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established, would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. I mean, when you look at uh, uh, Jesus and the prophecies of Jesus, it says that Jesus will sit upon the throne of David. Not Saul. 
Whose throne got established forever? The one that stood out, the one that's head and shoulders above everybody else, the, the one that's the most handsome man in all of Israel, or the one that had something different on the inside? Verse 13, he says, verse 13, go back. You have done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. I'll tell you right now, your authority is tied to your submission. Your authority is tied to your submission. You're kings and priests unto the Lord your God. You reign on this earth as a king. If you don't know that yet, just hang out with us a little bit. You'll find that out real quick. You're a king. You're royalty. You're sitting next to greatness this morning. I don't care how you felt waking up. I don't care what you did this weekend. I don't care what your Saturday night was like. You are royalty if you are in the kingdom of God. You are handpicked, chosen by the king. You are in the royal family. That makes you a prince unto your God. Hello, you're royalty. There's greatness all around today. But your authority in this earth is directly tied to your ability to submit. I mean, let's look at Adam. Adam was given dominion. Genesis chapter 1, verse 23. Given authority. Given the ability to rule and reign in the garden, in his domain. You, you can't be a king without a kingdom. You can't say, I'm king, and you don't have anything to rule over. It doesn't work that way. You've got to have a kingdom. You've got to have a domain. And his domain was the Garden of Eden. That was his territory. He was given full authority to operate in that. But the second that he, he, he uh, disobeyed, that's all that sin is, okay? Sin, three-letter word, is simply disobedience to the word of the king. God commanded, do not eat of the tree, right? Because obedience always has to be tied to submission to something. If the one thing that God gave Adam and Eve was authority, he's got to find a way to cause them to submit to him. Because your authority is only going to be as great as your level of submission. So he says, I'm going to put a tree in the middle of the garden, and they, you can't eat from this tree. That's the command. That's not the, that, that's not the boundary to confine you and to lock you in. That's the boundary that frees you and opens you up to the blessings. The blessings are in the boundary. <laughs> the blessings are within the boundary. I mean, King Saul's one of his first commands from God is you're going to rule over the people as I rule over you. So if you can't submit to me, you don't have any authority over them. Adam lost his authority in the garden when he disobeyed or came out of submission to God. It's that simple. You want to grow in your authority in this earth? You want to speak to things and watch them change? You want to start speaking to your marriage and see it change? You want to speak to your children and see them change? You want to speak to your finances and see it change? And you can. That's the word of God. It's powerful. It's in your mouth. The word of God is just as powerful in your mouth as it is in God's mouth. You speak the word and it changes things. But if you want to see that grow and increase, check your area of submission. Check your, last week we said this, God doesn't just want your compliance, he wants your submission. He doesn't just want you to get the job done, he wants you to do it right. Get it done with the right heart and the right attitude. So he tells them here, you've abandoned the commandment of God. Verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. And look what God says. He doesn't say that I found someone prettier. <laughs> he, doesn't sound, he doesn't say I found someone taller, more good looking, a better history. 
a better background? What's he say? For the Lord has sought for himself. See, you found me something and you brought me the best you could do. But now I found something for myself. This is what you picked. Here's what I've picked. I have picked a man after his own heart. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. God doesn't find someone that can do it better. He doesn't find someone that can do more. In essence, I mean, you you look at the backgrounds. David comes from Jesse. He's a shepherd boy. So that means that his father is taking care of land and taking care of animals. If you go back and read Saul's background that we just read in verses 1 and 2, it says that he came from a, a, a hierarchy of mighty men. Mighty men of power. He's not looking for someone that can do more. He's not looking for someone that can accomplish just a task. He's looking for someone in how they accomplish the task. He's looking for someone that will accomplish the task with the right heart. It says, I have found someone for myself that has my heart. That has my, you know, you can't get any higher than that, than going after the heart of God. Going after the heart of God. What does that mean? You're interested in what God is interested in. You're interested, the Father's interests are your interests. I mean, when Jesus was confronted by Peter after he, you know, gave his declaration, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be accused, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be put on a cross, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again in three days, and Peter gets in his face and says, may it never be. Lord, I'll I'll fight for you to the end. Over in Matthew chapter 16, and then Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have my Father's priorities, but your own priorities. If you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, you need to get God's priorities and let them become your priorities. What's important to God and let that become important to you? What's important to the king? That's what's important to me. And so he finds a man here, or he says, I've already found him. I've already found that man. I've been searching. I've been looking. I wonder, because God's searching. The question is, is he finding Is he finding you? Are you standing out to God or are you just standing out to men? Do you look good to man, but God's saying, "Uh, can't use that. Because he's what? Looking at something different. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. You know, I, I think in our world, as busy as we are, who's busy? Look at those hands. Look at them. We're all so busy. And it's amazing how much more we try to find to do. How much more we find to do. I read an interesting article. Actually, somebody sent it to me. 
uh, an interesting article about Chick-fil-A back in the early 90s. Chick-fil-A was really just starting to take off. They're still in the state of Georgia. Birthplace of Chick-fil-A, man. Woo! Atlanta, Georgia. And um, as they were getting started, there was another chicken fast food joint that was getting up and running called Boston Chicken. Boston Chicken. And they were just opening up franchises all over the place. And and the board members and the, and the top guys of Chick-fil-A, they're getting concerned. They're starting to get a little worried. And, um, you know, they're, they're saying, you know, by the year 2000, I mean, they're, they're going to be a $2 million company, and, and they're going to run us out of business. I mean, they're growing faster than we are. Look at everything that they're doing. Look at all these franchises. Look at all these stores. I mean, look at how far they've spread. We're still just right here in, in this, you know, general area. And, and, you know, they're just all anxious and worried and concerned. What are we going to do? How are we going to grow faster? How are we going to get more? How are we going to do more? And, and Truett Cathy's sitting at the end of the table, the CEO and the, the founder of Chick-fil-A, who's now gone on. Uh, but at, he's sitting at the end of the table just kind of listening. And he finally just stands up and pounds his fist on the table. And he says, guys, before we start trying to do more, we need to make sure that we're doing better. He said, if we will do better, the people will demand that we do more. And look who's in business today. So we're always trying to add stuff to our lives. We're always trying to increase because we feel that that's the standard, right? That's how the world measures. What's your calendar look like? What's your schedule? How many people are you meeting with? How much is in the bank? And this and that. And, and, and we think that having full lives... And full schedules and full accounts and full parking lots and, and full garages and, 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 and full houses uh, and, and, and full families is the answer. And God is saying, before you try to do more, I want to see you do better. I want to see how you're taking care of and handling what I've already placed in your possession. Because I've already given my word. If you'll be faithful with little, man, I'm going to make you ruler over much. Don't despise the one. Don't despise the two, because that two could become four. That five could become ten. That one could have become two, but he despised it and he what? Buried it. I wonder how much stuff we're burying in the, in the name of getting more. And we've put our attention and gotten ourselves distracted onto stuff that God never intended us to be distracted with. God never gave the command to Saul to, to offer up that sacrifice. And we get over to 1 Samuel chapter 15, and it's over. I mean, that's the end of King Saul. Now, he reigns for like another 17 years after that, but it's the most empty. I'll tell you what, you don't want to be at the top without God. You don't want to be at the top without God. You want God with you the whole step of the way. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, just to give you a little backstory again real quick, God sends King Saul and his army out to defeat the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites are very treacherous people, very dangerous and evil people. I mean, this goes all the way back to when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt and in the wilderness. They came down and tried to attack the Israelites, and God has had his beef with them this whole time. And so he sends King Saul, and he says, you go in there, and you plunder them. You take away everything they have, every child, every animal. You kill the king. You get rid of their armies. You plunder their entire city. And so Saul goes up in there, and he defeats them. 
But he decides, I'm going to keep the best for myself. I'm keeping the best for myself. And, and he even uh, sacrifices some of the good animals. They get rid of the, 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 the stuff nobody wants. But like the good animals and those that we're going to keep those, we're going to sacrifice those. God will surely be pleased by my sacrifice. I wonder if we're sacrificing things God never asked us to put on the altar. In the name of worship and in the name of praise. God, look at all this time I'm giving you. Look at, you know, look, look at, you know, I'm putting my hand to the plow. I'm, I'm working hard. Sometimes we're working hard at stuff he's, he told us to relax and enjoy. And I'll tell you what, you want to kill what God says kill. You don't want to hold on to stuff that God says get rid of. And so right here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to start with verse 18. Because Samuel shows up. Samuel shows up. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, And fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I'll tell you what, if God corrects you and says you've done it wrong, just go ahead and accept the beating, the spanking, and just take it and and move on, man. Don't argue with God. God, no, now see, God, that's where you're wrong. I did obey. <laughs> and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, oh, the people. The people took of the plunder. I mean, listen to what that sounds like as a king. You are the ruler, man. You're the man in charge. You're telling me the people told you what to do? The people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, God wasn't looking for the sacrifice of animals. God was looking for the sacrifice of Saul. He wasn't looking to bring me the best and lay it on the altar. I'm looking for you. Will you sacrifice your will? Will you sacrifice your heart? Will you sacrifice your desire? Will you sacrifice your intention? See, Saul, since he was picked by the people, came into his king, his kingship, his rulership, with an innate desire that I have to please the people. They put me here. They can take me out. But see, when you know that God's put you somewhere, your only desire is to please him. My only aim, my only motivation is to please the Father. Amen. I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to make you happy. And and I can almost count on it. I won't make you happy at times because I'm only here to please the Father. Amen. But I tell you right now, when you're aiming to please God, you'll, you'll meet people's needs around you because God has placed you there for a purpose God's placed you in that job for a purpose God's placed you in that family for a purpose and so 
the ultimate sacrifice that God's looking for is King Saul. I don't care how good it smells. I don't care uh, how good it looks. I don't care uh, how, how, how many you can throw up there. At the end of the day, I'm looking for you. Obedience with the wrong heart is disobedience. Obedience with the wrong heart is disobedience. And he says here very clearly, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Watch this. He also has rejected you from being king. God cannot keep you in a position of authority if you're unwilling to submit to the authority over you. I'll say that again. God cannot keep you in a position of authority if you're not willing to submit to the authority over you. He's forced to replace you. He's forced to make a change of command. He's forced to do something different. Why? Because I can only keep people in places that have the right heart. And King Saul's motivation is pleasing to people. We can keep on going here. Skip on down to verse 30. Watch what he says here. You know, Samuel continues to rebuke him a little bit more. And Saul eventually begins to turn around, and in verse 30 he says, Then he, then he said, then, are you waiting until then? How, when you have the right heart, your response is quick. When correction comes, it's, man, I missed it. We'll see that in a moment. But King Saul, it took him a little while. Samuel had to paint the picture. He had to hear the words, you've been removed as king over this people. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. Maybe I blew it somewhere. Maybe there's, you're right. You've got it. And he says here, then he said, I have sinned. Yet, yet, are you putting stipulations on your restoration? He says, yeah, I, I, I've sinned. Yet, honor me now. Honor me now. Honor me now. Please. Watch this. Before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me. Look what he says. That I may worship the Lord your God. Honor me now. This is a king that got into it on image. And as he's being removed, the only thing he's concerned about is his image. See, those words, honor me now, essentially what he's saying is, look, 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 look. Yeah, I blew it. But I'm king. And I still need to look good in front of the people. So honor me now. Because if you, the prophet of God, can honor me, and then he says, return with me. If you'll go back with me, that'll show the people that everything's okay. It's just all about image. I admit that I've sinned, but don't let the people know that. When you ought to be concerned about the one that already knows. Whatever you do, do it. 
as unto the Lord. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Everyone say do. So let's look over 1 Samuel chapter 15. That's it. And, and you know, Samuel has a hard time with this separation. And in verse 16, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Watch what he says. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. I've provided myself. Now, Samuel's thinking, okay, if this is, if King Saul is what the people could pick, surely God's got something even better. And he does. But does it look like what the people picked? And so we know that he's, you know, Jesse's got several sons. And so he starts bringing in these sons, brings in the oldest. He's tall and strong. The next one's a mighty warrior. Uh, we know that many of, of David's brothers end up going to help fight the Philistines with Goliath. And that's when David shows up there to bring them food to the army. Uh, you know, so he's got some mighty warriors. I mean, you want a king, you want someone that's going to fight. Again, we're just looking at natural standards. But when we skip on down uh, to verse 6, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely this is the man. Why? What's Samuel looking at? The outside. You're going to have to change your template. You have to change your template. This is what the world measures by. This is the world standard. This is what the world's looking for. This is the world. This is what the world deems as successful or uh, as able, reliable, dependent, trustworthy. But look what God says. Surely the noise, the Lord's anointed is before him. But verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. That's already got you in trouble. He just named the two things that the people picked King Saul with, his appearance and stature. And God says, that's how the world measures. But I got a different way to measure. Because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. This is why we got to see the way God sees. That's why we got to get God's perspective. We ministered to the men on Friday night, had a great time together. We ministered about uh, almost two other individuals that are very uh, contrasting uh, Samson and Gideon. You know, in men's meetings, and we love to talk about Samson, man. I mean, he's strong, he's mighty, strongest man that's ever walked on the face of the planet. That's easy. Gideon, not so much. He's weak. Uh, you know, he's the bottom of his army. He's hiding when the, when the army's coming to fight him. I mean, that's not your man's man. But yet God sends an angel, and the angel of the Lord says, you are a mighty man of valor. Because maybe, just maybe, God's looking at something different. And we made this statement, God doesn't pick you from your perspective. He picks you from his perspective. He's looking at something different. Maybe the greatest thing about you hasn't even been revealed yet. Maybe the greatest thing about you is the character on the inside that people don't even know yet. They've been discounting because of your, 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 where you went to school, where you grew up, what kind of family you have, what's in the bank account, what you drive, what kind of house you live. Maybe they're discounting because of all, but maybe the best thing about you is on the inside and you haven't even released it out yet. 
We got David, a shepherd boy, sitting out in the field that's smelly and taking care of sheep and, and, and shoveling uh, sheep poop all day long. And we have to bring him in. We not, he's not even counted in the group. We have to go run and get him. And Samuel says, we sitting down. We ain't going nowhere till, till uh, David shows up. Nobody moves. Because God makes a statement there in verse 7. Throw it back up. He says, I have refused him. The Lord does not see as man sees. The man looks at the outward appearance. What he does. But the Lord looks at the heart. How he does it. So you look at King Saul and all the battles he's fought and all the armies he's defeated and all the sacrifices he made. But then you can go over to David who's sitting in the middle of a field with a bunch of sheep and you see how he tends sheep versus how Saul leads an army. So we gauge on the outside. We gauge what's revealed that what everybody sees and God's gauging how you're accomplishing it. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. God provides his own king and man chooses by how it looks but god chooses by how it works man chooses by how it looks but god's choosing by how it works now the thing about david great king great man i mean beginning with Goliath on down, I mean, this, this guy's a mighty, this guy can't lose a fight. I mean, God in heaven's got to be thinking, man, we've got, we got a good one here. I mean, this is practically me on the earth. This guy ain't losing. This guy's consulting with me about everything. Even when his own people have turned against him, he's strengthening himself in me to make sure that he stays strong so he can continue to lead and guide these people. And, and man, he's blessed. I mean, just the things he's doing. I mean, just an awesome man of God. But then one day he really messes up. And I was looking at this, I, you know, in, in studying this and looking at this, I was looking at King Saul and how King Saul messed up. And then you go to King David and look at how he messed up. And again, in our eyes, I'll tell you this. God measures your success differently than the world. But he also measures your failures different than the world. Because David blows it, man. David, a king, says when he should have been at battle, stayed home. The king's job is to fight. Leading the army, leading the troops. I mean, it's what he's been doing. All the way up until this point. This guy's a mighty warrior. He's faithful with a few rocks and a slingshot, and, and God makes him ruler over the nation. And he gets to wield a sword just like King Saul tried to put on him. It just wasn't his time yet. It wasn't that David couldn't carry a sword. Because you notice for the rest of his battles and the rest of his life, he's not taking a, a slingshot and stones with him. He puts on the breastplate, he puts on the helmet, he gets, takes up the sword. He's one of the best warriors. But when he should have been fighting, he stays home and he sees a woman bathing. And her husband's out fighting his battle. 
And, and he decides, I want that. And I'm king. I can have whatever I want. He goes in and he sleeps with her and he gets her pregnant. And instead of stopping right there, saying, whoa, I've messed up. I've blown this. I mean, one lie becomes another lie. And he says, well, I've got to find a way to, to, to make the people think that this child is really Uriah, Uriah's child. So he brings in Uriah off the battlefield, and, and Uriah reluctantly comes home, but he will not sleep with his wife. So you'd think right there David would be like, all right, fine. I'm just going to come out with this thing. I mean, I'm a man of integrity. I'm a man after God's own heart. But no. He says, we're going to take Uriah then. We're going to put him on the front lines, and we're going to make sure he dies in battle. And he's killed fighting his battle, purposely placed on the front lines. I mean, this is like Jerry Springer stuff, man. This is, this is bad stuff. This is terrible. And after Bathsheba mourns for her husband, she becomes David's wife, and they have this child. So it's all good. It's all covered up. Nobody has to know. And the prophet Nathan now, because Samuel has passed on, the prophet Nathan comes into the king and says, hey, I got a story for you. There was a man who was poor, didn't have much, and he had one sheep. He had this pet sheep, and that was normal. A lot of times they would keep a sheep as a house pet. And then there was this other rich man that had plenty of sheep, but he needed to make a sacrifice. Then he took the one sheep from the poor man and offered up that man's sheep as a sacrifice. What do you think we should do about that? And by the way, this is about a year after the child is born. The child's already born. The child's already alive. David's thinking, we're past this. We're 365 days behind this thing. We've moved on. And Nathan comes in, and, and so the back of, my, back of David's mind, he's not thinking, he's talking about me. He's thinking, who is this man? Bring him in here. We're going to kill him, and then we're going to make sure the other man gets taken care of. We're going to give him four times as much. And Nathan points right at him. Could have had his head taken off right there in the palace. And points right at him and says, you are that man. You did this. Now, King Saul's response was to give excuses, blame it on the people. She shouldn't have been bathing out in the open. Should have been wearing a towel. I mean, whatever excuse you could think of. And, and David's only response is, I have sinned. I've sinned. See, God looks at successes differently than the world. He also looks at failures. He can still call that man. I mean, when I measure that up, uh, uh, you know, just on the outside, measure up what David did compared to what Saul did. I mean, Saul messed up by giving sacrifices and laying animals on an altar to God. I mean, if you're going to mess up, you want to mess up in church, right? Uh, I mean, if you're going to mess up, I'm going to mess up going to church too much or reading my Bible too much or worshiping God too much or playing too much Christian music or, or saying praise God, hallelujah, everywhere I go. or You know, that's where you want to mess up. But it wasn't about what was being done on the outside. It was about the heart on the inside. Isn't that interesting? How are we measuring? How, what are we looking at? Because 
Whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do. It only matters how you do it. And if you blow it in the worst way but have a heart that comes back to God and says, I've sinned, I need you, and I need to repent, that's better than blowing up or, or, or blowing it in sacrifices and what you think is sacrifices to God and then have the, the attitude in the heart of, well, it's no big deal. What's the difference in these two schools, the hearts? Because whatever you do, it has to be done the right way. Whatever we do has to be done the right way. There's protocol. There's a procedure. There's a way that you do this. And even when you blow it, you can still fix it by your response to what you blew it on. That ought to be encouragement to someone today. That ought to be a a healing point for you today that says, man, I have blown it, but I recognize I've sinned. I recognize that, 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 that I need God. That's the heart he's looking for. God isn't stuck on what you did. He's stuck on how you respond to what you did and how you respond to his correction in your life. That's what he's looking for. Even the greatest of mistakes and the greatest of sins can be healed and restored when we have a heart that says, God, I need you. I've messed up. Man, that's good. Two kings. You know, if David didn't do that one act, I mean, you could almost have an argument with God that says, hey, now I know you wanted to be king and you didn't want earthly people ruling, but This guy did a pretty good job. But that one act still identifies that God's the only one that can hold that sovereign position of kings. Even when we have a a man after God's own heart, even that man can blow it. Even that man can miss it. But the heart is what God is looking for. The heart is what God is assigning to us today. Not just an assignment of action in what we do, but an assignment of how we respond and how we do it. It's just an opportunity for us to take a check on the inside. Lisa, Chase, if y'all come. It's just an opportunity for us to just look on the inside and say, how? Have I done? I got the accolades. I've got the moments. I've got the prestige. It looks good. It sounds good. It feels good. I mean, look at how many people are following me. Look at how many people have said, great job. That's an awesome job you're doing. But on the inside, God is saying, I'm looking for something different. Looking for something different. He doesn't want us to just do more. He wants us to do better. We just sang that song. And I'll stand. Arms. Told high, hearts abandoned. All I am is yours. God doesn't have all of you, so He has your heart. And, and again, guys, going back to what I said at the beginning, I, sometimes I think that we we miss that that our heart isn't quite in the position it should be. We give our tithe and offering, but the heart's not quite where it should be. And at the end of the year, we want to hold up our contribution statement to God and say, look what I gave, look what I did. And he said, but I didn't get your heart. That was more valuable to me than your money. 
Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. What's your heart? And sometimes, you know, I, I think we miss that. We even see the places that we miss it. We even see the, the places that we blow it and we say, well, you know, but I have the right heart. But did Did This is a compelling message today. This is, this is a message where we get to take an opportunity to gain some reality, gain some perspective to what God is really looking at. We just need to check on the inside. But on the flip side of that today, I want you to be encouraged. It doesn't matter what you failed in on the outside. God was looking at your heart on the inside. And even on, on the outside, it's a complete mess. It's under shambles. It, it, it's just, I, I've got nothing to show for it. God's been looking at my heart the whole time. And he says, if you'll come to me and you'll be repentant and you'll acknowledge that you blew it and that you missed it, I'm ready to take you back. And I will place the same title upon you, that you are a man or a woman after my own heart. That you're not defined by the failure, just like you're not defined by the success. You're defined by the response. Don't let failure stop you any longer. Don't let your past keep you down because you had the right heart. And if you'll come today and you'll say, God, I blew it, I missed it, but I need you, I'm turning to you, I'm bringing my heart to you, that's all he's looking for. Look at what he can do with a man after his own Look at what he can do with the man that has no hope. Whatever you do, do it. It's unto the Lord. Father, I thank you. Within us today, we have a heart that is birthed to do great things, to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. Father, we're not just looking at what we do. We're not just looking at the outward appearance. Father, we want to measure differently. We want to hold a different standard. We want to hold uh, and we want to acknowledge that it's not about what it looks like on the outside. We want to take a look inward today. Father, reveal our heart to us. Reveal our heart to us in our successes and our failures. Reveal our heart to us. Father, we'll not allow any success to keep us from having the right heart, but we won't allow any failure to keep us from having the right heart either. Father, we thank you that you want to be glorified through us. You've got a great purpose and a great destiny for our lives. We want to honor you. But we don't want to just be caught up in what we do. We want to place a priority in how we do it. How we do it. Father, I thank you today that you're going to do a work in our hearts that only you can do. We're going to do a work in our hearts that only you can do. Father, I thank you that you'll give us a new heart. A heart that whatever we do, great or small, success or failure will do it with the right heart in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen.